Welcome to Inside America's Minds, a series of original podcasts created and hosted by clinical psychologist, Dr. Jody J. DeLuca. Inside America's Minds features fascinating conversations with everyday people like you and me and their extraordinary experiences. Join us for this thought-provoking episode on Inside America's Minds. Hello, I want to thank you for joining us for another incredible Inside America's Minds. Today, I have the phenomenal, the invincible, the oh. incredible Dr. Mary Jo. You got to help me, Podgurski. Did I say it right? You did. Well, right. Okay, Absolutely. good. Um, I just, a kindred spirit. I, um, we haven't known Absolutely. each other that long, but I am so honored and privileged and delighted to have you on the show. Thank you, Mary Jo. Thank you, thank Dr. You, Dr. Mary Jo, for being oh, here. Yes. Well, thank you for inviting me. I feel the same as you. We just you. met and I knew right away that we have so many things in common. It's like mm -hmm. our cores are the yes. same stuff that makes us tick. Um, so yeah, this is quite an honor. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely, and especially this month. Yes especially this month, mental health. I really believe, and I'm sure you've heard people say this and that we are in the middle of a mental health pandemic. Yeah. We are not even scratching the surface of how much this has troubled some people, the isolation. And I, my primary work is with, I serve young people. That's always the way I say it, Dr. Jody, because I feel that's what I do. I serve them. And we've had some challenges with young people in the yes. last year and a half. Um, yeah and adults as well, but I, my heart is with those of us who are reaching out for adulthood and who they know where they want to go sometimes, but the path can be really bumpy. And right. that's my role is to, is to be another adult who is trusted, who can be a mentor. Um, that's my focus. And I'm honored to be able to do that. Well, you know, when I listen to you talk and I hear about all the accomplishments in life and what your passion is, it definitely is the younger generations. Oh, I mean, yeah. and you, you are a registered nurse. I am. You are an education doctor. You are a counselor. You are an author of multiple books, which we're going right. to also talk about. Um, like I said, I, I, and you keep doing things and you keep creating and well, what, what's, what's the secret? <laughs> what's the secret? Um, I gotta be, um, from my heart. I, I believe that life is very short and it's a gift and aging is a gift. I, I think I share this with you when we were talking. I have a young person I'm seeing now who is 12 and we've seen each other three times on zoom for an hour, the, the, the typical talking work that you do mm. and the first hour we just clicked and <laughs> at the end of the hour he leaned into the zoom and he said I, i'd like to say something but i mean it well i don't want to hurt your feelings i said you, you won't hurt me. And he said, i never thought i would click with an old lady oh <laughs> out of the mouth of babes i know no, i said well i'm really did you and he said absolutely i can't wait till next time i said well that's a great compliment so age is a gift why do i keep bubbling um, I recognized my mortality when I was 23, when I was an oncology, pediatric oncology nurse. And I knew I wasn't going to live forever. I actually came home from work and said to my poor husband, honey, we're going to die. And he went, uh-huh, what are we going to have for dinner? You know, like, let's not worry about death right now. But I was 23 and we wrapped 10 or 11 small bodies and took them to the morgue every week. Uh, I, how, did, how did you do that? First of all, um, a pediatric oncology nurse working uh, with the most vulnerable of populations with, so with such a, you know, a cruel disease most of the time, not all the time, but. No, but a lot of, for children, it's always hard. And even if it's a curable one that we can say you're in remission and go forth, um, it's still never easy. Mm -hmm. But because Sloan is, Sloan kind of is a, tertiary hospital. We had children from all over the world and, and we had sick, sick, sick children. And um, I, I loved them. I still love them. We had primary care nursing, which I'm sure they don't do anymore. It's very expensive salary wise, I'm sure. And I was assigned a number of children who were my primary patients. 
And my job wasn't just to know their chemo, it was to know what they liked to eat and what kind of music they enjoyed and what they watched on TV and what they liked to do in terms of playing cards. Or I had one little girl who I really loved who liked those sewing cards that you put yarn through. Yeah, I remember those. Yeah, yeah. so after my shift, I'd sit and I didn't have any children at the time. I was a newlywed. We would sit and do this. And so when the children went into end stage, we were given other people helped us, other nurses helped us, and we stayed primarily with that family for the final days of that child's life. So we were there for long shifts. Um, nurturing the family, supporting them, showing them up and being with the child in their last moments. And then it would be my job to prepare my primary patient for, for removal from the ward and taken to the morgue. And so I would, I would do postmortem care, which, which simply means that you wash the body of all fluids and things. And I would talk to them while I did it. My belief system is that maybe they could still know that I was there. And so I would cover their bodies and wash an arm and then cover the arm, just as I did when they were alive. So I respected their personhood and their modesty. And I would talk to them. I'm, I'm so glad you and I were together for a while in this life. And I really enjoyed knowing you. And then I would take them to the morgue myself. I wouldn't let anybody else do it. Once I took a small a little one, a seven month old, and I carried her in my arms. And I took the service elevator that only employees use, but an employee got on and said, is the baby asleep? And I just said, yes. Oh, I, so, I have to ask you, though, I mean, that you're putting yourself right in a zone where the most difficult of all with the loss of a child. How, why that? Why that particular specialization as a nurse? Do you remember that moment in your life, Dr. Mary Jo, when you decided this is what I'm going to do? And then... Why? Yeah. You, how did you do it? How did you compartmentalize it and 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 get through it as a nurse yourself? It's a wonderful question, Dr. Jody. Thank I will you. tell you, I knew I wanted pediatrics the minute I started working. Uh, and in school, mm. I knew I wanted pediatrics. I worked at Children's Hospital in Pittsburgh first. And then when we got married, we went to New York City. And I thought, wouldn't it be amazing to learn more? Because I was new. I was three years into nursing to learn more about pediatric oncology. So that's what I applied and I got the job and this, the hospital was amazing. They gave us in-services, we talked about everything and we were able to feel what we felt. Um, mm. I don't know that I gave as much as those children gave to me and that's the truth. Oh. So all these years later, I'm 71, I still feel the grace of being in those rooms at that time. And, and I was raised in, in early nursing training. I went to school in 68. We were told not to show emotion. You know, we were, really? Like, well, it was a long time ago. And, and uh, one of the children died. And I went in the treatment room after I'd taken the body to the morgue. And I was cleaning up the stuff that you have around sickness, you know, the IV. And, and I started sobbing. And there was a nurse's aide we had on the unit who was a nurse in mainland China. But when she got here as an immigrant, she never was able to get her nursing certification. So she was considered a nurse's aide, but she was amazing. And she came in and she was Buddhist. And she said, why are you crying? I said, oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't be crying. She said, no, of course you should be crying. You should cry in front of the family. So they know that you feel that your heart hurts too. And then she comforted me. She said, sit down. And I sat down. And so many people taught me how to listen. My father taught me how to listen. He never had a degree, Dr. Jody. He always put whatever he had in his hands down and he listened to me with all of him. Mm. And, and children need that kind of listening. They don't need a, I'm busy with my phone. They need a, you are all I'm focused on kind of listening. And that's what this beautiful woman did for me in 1973. And she said, why do you think you shouldn't cry? And I told her, and she said, no, 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 you must show your heart. And then wow. she said, don't be, don't be sad because someday you will leave this life. And these children you love right now, be waiting for you and they will say, Mary Jo, what took you so long? I got a lot more from that than I gave, Dr. Jenny, I did. But it was a pivotal moment in my life. It was a moment when I said, you know what? This is all I have. I am not going to waste these days. So I get up in the morning, I say my prayers, I'm thankful for the day I have, and then I do it. And I do it with as much gusto as I can have. <laughs> and, and then I'm done for the day. And then I start again tomorrow. And I, that's, that's been my life philosophy. 
so I have to go back to, to little Mary Jo. I have to go back. Your first memory as a child. Oh, wow. My mom was, was mentally unstable. Not as a bad way to say it. She had clinical depression, was undiagnosed. Okay. And later, whenever I was older, I got her therapy. And um, she loved it. She actually said to me one day, you can just talk to this person. They make you feel better. Isn't that amazing? But in my family, it wasn't appreciated. I even talk about this in my book, um, Sex Ed is in Session. I talk about this. Okay, but we have to talk about that book, yeah, too. She, but... my father was a rock, Dr. Jody. He was mm. deep and wise and spiritual and never stopped listening to me and teaching me. Always I have so many stories about my papa. But when mama had a hard time with her depression, she would go into the bedroom. She didn't act out. She would go into the bedroom and close the door and it was dark. And I had my papa, but even as a very small child, I have a vivid memory of going in there and sitting with her. And and they were immigrants, both mom and dad? Her mama was born in in, in here. Her her older siblings were born in Italy. She was born okay. in America. Okay. Papa was an immigrant. He was 14 when he came here, poor soul. From Italy? Yes. And they put him in okay. first grade and he was too small for the desk. So he he told me he, at lunchtime he wouldn't be disrespectful. He walked out the school door and he walked and he walked to a coal mine, lied about his age and went to work. Told me he was 16. Pennsylvania coal mine. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. But he was a beautiful man and she was a beautiful woman. But I, I do believe, you know what, childhood lasts forever. You know this. Yeah, yeah that emotion part of who we are. Yeah. yeah. And so when I have young people I'm serving who have really difficult things at home and many of them mm -hmm. do, I tell them that inside of them is resilience stronger, stronger than they can even imagine, and that they are so worthy, and that that worth is going to see them through this hard time, and that I'm here, that I've got their backs. I'm, I'm their kin now. I may not be blood relative, but I care about them, and I love them, and I'm here. And so I think that my, my passion about living has a lot to come from my father's influence, because he was like that, Dr. Jody, he was. Okay. He and, and learning that I wanted to make my mom feel good. Um, feeling that even as a very small child, my job was to, to cheer her up. So I would bring her things to make her smile. I'd read to her, um, sing little songs. So you and were the parentified child very early on. You were the I caregiver. No, okay. I would not. My, my father was the caregiver in my house. Okay. I never had to fear for money mm -hmm. or concerns. I had a solid rock. Um, of a of a papa behind me, and she, when she was not in her depressive modes, was just as powerful as he. But she mm. did have this, and and Papa would call it a spell. Okay, yeah. And he would say, "Your mom's having a spell," and I would, I would do what I could. So I no, I did not have a parental role. I know what you mean by that. I did not. Okay. I was allowed to have it. I had a I had a wonderful childhood, but I think she developed empathy in me. Huh. And I think maybe I had some in the beginning. I, I, I don't think, well, that, that thing popped up. I don't think for one minute that empathy can't be taught. I think we can teach it. I think we can teach it. But some souls have more. I would agree. Now, I have a question for you. Getting back to the babies, um, do you feel that those infants, when they were, and they were moving towards the finality of life, did you feel them and, and did they sense and feel you? I don't know. I didn't I did hospice nursing after. I thought oh I was my done gosh. with death. I thought I was done with it, but then I wasn't. So I went and did hospice. So in hospice with adults passing, I had more of a feeling of a passing. And the children weren't just babies. So we had little ones all the way up through adolescence. In fact, some of my best memories of teens. Teens are they're, they're my incredible. favorite people. Oh, but they're so feisty. They're so feisty. I, I remember sitting with a young man who had a very, very difficult cancer and saying to him, holding his hand, and he was in a in a that stage when the breathing is halting, the apnea, and then it comes back. Yeah. And I remember saying to him, his mama was on the other side, and we were both saying, You're so strong, it's okay to let it go. We were both saying it at the same time, off and on. His mama was is was one of my dearest. Uh, memories from that time because he was his heart was so strong and and so the teens the teens inspired me um the two-year-olds I mean it was a wonderful experience for me it was a 
hard experience. But it wasn't what turned me into the path I went into. It wasn't that. I mean, I did hospice again because I thought I needed to do some more death work. Um, I'm comfortable with death. And, and not everybody is. So I have I have a strange question. Okay. Um, do you believe in life after death? I do. I do. But I don't think everybody I believe everybody has the right to have that belief, whatever belief they want is what I'm trying to say. In okay. fact, I, I write these books called the Nani books. I'm a Nani. That's a grandma in Italian. Yeah. And I've written 12. And one of them is called Nani Talks About Death. And in the book, we look at an unexpected death of a pet in front of a mm. car. So the children, the same children in all of the books, Tamika and Alex, who are actually named the two of my peer educators. Peer educators are people who teach with me. And these people okay. are now... 40 okay but <laughs> the law, but we're still in touch with um, i'm godmother to one of the children so mm. i tend to hold on or they hold on to me i'm not sure which way it i can see why. why yeah so anyway i named these two books these kids in these books i wrote the first one in 2014 there are 12 now and i named tamika and alex and tamika and alex always have questions for nani so in the book alex's puppy his little dog not a puppy he runs across the street and he's killed by a car so we go through Alex's guilt, could he have stopped it? Alex's pain, in the book we make a collage of his dog's pictures and we deal with that grief. And then Tamika's Abelito, her grandfather, he's from the Dominican Republic, has a long illness, we don't, I don't name it. Okay. So it takes a while for him to die. So I talk about hospice care and palliative care and my daughter's a palliative care physician, and she consulted with me on the book. So that was what my book was supposed to be. I had a storyboard. It ended at the end when the deaths <laughs> all happened. We had grieved. We had settled. And then the children were supposed to say, Nani, what happens after you die? And Nani was supposed to say in my storyboard, no one knows for sure. And then, Dr. Jody, I thought, what a cop-out that is. Because my books <laughs> are about looking at the elephant that nobody talks about, that big pachyderm in the corner. And so I said in the book, Nani goes, everybody believes something different. Let's see. And then I went to 13 of my real friends, real human beings, and I asked them what they believed. So everybody believes something different. That's and what you, I said. The diversity. Wow. I interviewed 13 people, and I alphabetically went from agnostic <laughs> through all of it, all of it, Muslim, <laughs> Judaism, Christian, Dao, Buddhist. I went. I did it all, and then at the end, I ended with Wiccan. Oh my God! <laughs> I interviewed a, a friend of mine who's a native person of of, of Navajo roots, Diné Diné people, and mm -hmm. um, talked about her belief. We they're all in there, and we don't say what's right and what's wrong. And then at the end, they say, "Well, Nani, what do you believe?" And I have a picture of my parents that my illustrator mm -hmm. drew, and I said, "I have the same belief system that my parents gave me." And I believe that there is a life after death, but Nani respects everybody's belief. And you know that. I and love it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So I, that was a, honestly a surprise to me. I did not intend to go there. But I do focus groups for these books, Dr. Jody, and I do third and fourth graders, fifth and sixth graders, and seventh and eighth graders. In the very first focus groups I did, one of the fifth graders said to me, why don't you answer this question right? Oh, with regards to death and dying? what happens after you die? And I said, huh. because there's no answer for it. She said, well, there are people who have beliefs. And I went, yes, you're right. There are. I will ask them. So the pictures in Nani talks about death. Those 13 people are all real. All now, how was the book received? How, oh, what was well. the, con oh. I, I don't sell them very much. But I probably Why not? Them. They should. They but should I, be in every school system. <laughs> well, they should be. Some of them are a little controversial. I did Nani talks about sex, of course, because I'm a sexologist. That's, I, that's one more thing you do that we have to talk about. <laughs> and you're a doula. But I want, I want to go back. You, you said hospice and palliative care. And then you talked about your daughter, who's a physician, and palliative care. Can you tell the audience what palliative care is? Be and happy to what do the that. mission of, of hospice is? Because I think there's a lot of misconceptions about oh, that. Oh, so much. People are afraid that if their loved one gets palliative care, that that means they're at death's door. And that right. is not mm. Palliative care provider. Um, is amazing because they do so many things to help the family and the patient feel quality of life is, is a big focus. How can we help with pain? How can we help you maximize what you can do? People can be in palliative care for 10 years. 
it's not like I'm dying, I have to have this. It's about the amazing quality that we have in medicine and the heart that palliative care physicians and social workers give. I keep referring to heart. I think that's what we give each other. I think that we connect at a spirit level, at a heart level, mm -hmm. heart to heart, spirit to spirit. And that's how we shore each other up. That's how we make good things in life happen. And so hospice is a little different. Typically a person goes into hospice when they are at, at an end stage. It's okay. much more, palliative care has a broader scope. Um, but absolutely, when I was a hospice nurse, I, I saw people who probably had less than six months to live. Uh, but nobody knows that. I think that's the part that mm. people are given a difficult diagnosis. People always say to the doctor, how long do I have? And a, a, a wise doctor will say, no one knows for sure. Huh. You know, and people can give you research that can say with this diagnosis and the stage you're in, this is the typical amount of time, but your body is your body and your spirit is your spirit. And we'll see. We'll see. And ever since 1973, I've been cognizant of the fact that I could die any day. And that doesn't depress me. It makes me passionate about to, to do what I can do. I mean, I have had a sustainability and a severance package, not severance package, sever, uh, plan for people to, what's that called? Sustainability, people who follow you, a legacy. A legacy. Okay. So I started the Teen Outreach in 1988, and we have taught a quarter million young people sex ed. That's the truth. My staff and I. In 2004, I wrote up a thing. This is what happens if Mary Jo dies. And I was writing on the whiteboard. I turned around and my staff was crying. I, what are you, what's the matter with you? Are you dying? I said, no more than you. <sighs> but I want to know what happens. So if, if these young people we serve are much more important than me, it's not about me. If I am gone tomorrow, Dr. Jody, my staff knows what to do. In COVID, with difficult situations, yeah. my staff did not abandon one teen that needed us, not one. We saw them virtually. We went to their homes and dropped off packages of activities to do and food. And didn't we waved at them from the porch. We shouted at them from our cars. Um, we did every, we stayed connected with every single one of the young people. We kept my, I have a teen center I opened in 08. We kept it running. I had to close my teen center on March 16th of 2020. On March 17th, I started doing two Zooms a day, two virtual Zooms. One at three and one at seven. The to stay connected. Oh my gosh. To stay connected. The three o'clock was just hangout. And how you doing? <laughs> and if the, if the kids were having a hard day, you would know because all you would see is the top of their head. <laughs> and they would gradually show you all of them. And then in the summer, we did 10 summer camps, virtual summer camps, photography and theater and book club and oh cooking. Gosh. And we ran from nine o'clock in the morning to six o'clock at night. And my peer educators, the people who teach with me, the young people, they've always run my center. That's who runs my center. Well, and, and I can think of so many parents that would have loved if their children was part of what yeah. you offer. It's a very popular center. We're doing summer camps again, starting on June 8th. Um, if you put my information in, in, your, in your chat, um, I will be happy to register people. You don't have to okay. be low, it's virtual. Well, and, and I do want you to be They're able free. to tell us, um, and, and so people, the audience can reach you that way and look free. at the camps. So Absolutely. you have this incredible life, and I know you, you're also a doula. Tell us what that, what, what that job description is, because I know well, there's a lot of misconception about there that, are, too. There are. Um, I started as a childless educator with Lamaze International in the 70s, hmm. um, and I was their president during the 90s. I'm very vested in that organization, but... A doula, and I've, I, I have to share with you, I have not certified myself as a doula. I was trained as a doula, but I've never done it for money. I've only done it for teens. So I don't have for a teens. process. So a doula for teens. Right. I don't have a process wow. where I people pay me to be a doula. I only go with young people who need me. And you're a registered nurse as well as a doula. So a doula goes with somebody into labor. A death doula is there at the end of life so yeah I've only met one other than you uh, though yeah so people would say to me I don't understand you you're at birth and you're at death and I say well it's all in a big circle yeah it's all in a big circle it's oh my gosh well it's true and being a birth doula means that um sometimes you sit back sometimes you crochet because they don't, people don't need you but you shore up the couple if it's a couple or the person and you're there through it all. You're there through the labor, the birth, the postpartum. With teens, I always 
not always, but I often would have to run out and buy food for them. Because after you have a baby, they'll give you hospital food. And, and I knew these 16-year-olds were like, eh. Yeah. <laughs> so as soon as I knew they were safe, I'd get in my car and run over to get them something they wanted. There's a hot dog place in our community that's very popular. I'd run out and get them stuff and bring it back. And they would wolf it down like they were starving because they'd done 17 hours of work. Having a baby's hard work. Um, right. But, yeah. but I, I started teaching sexuality because of one of those kids. I was pregnant with my mm -hmm. first baby. So that will be. I can't hear you. I'm 40 years ago. I don't want to say her age. That's not fair. But <laughs> over 40 years ago. And so I'm pregnant with my, my baby. And this woman calls me and said, um, I understand you help teens. What I did is I took them out of my childbirth classes because I'm sitting there with six couples who are happy or pretending to be happy. And then I'd have this one 15-year-old like, and the couples would be kind to these teens, but they had no support like the other people had mm. typically. So I made a night just for teens, Dr. Jody. I made a night just for teens and I fed them and I made it free. And so the kids would say I was the three Fs, food, free, <laughs> and funny. They said I made them laugh. So I was not <laughs> going to be a doula for these kids. I was just going to get them through pregnancy, right? And I got a call from a woman one day and she said, um, my daughter's pregnant. Can you help her? I said, sure. Six o'clock at night. I'm teaching in my home. Da, 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 da. She said, no, no. She's in foster care. You can't, she can't come to you. Can you go to her? I went, sure. Now, I ended up doing home visits all the time. All the time. For teens, pregnancy. But I had never done one at that point. But I had a crocheted uterus, you know. <laughs> oh my God, you did not. Dr. Mary Jo. I do have one. So I drove to this house and um, the foster mother was very sweet. She said, you know, she won't talk to us much. So I go in the back room and the room is darkened and the door is closed. And I knock and there's a grunt. I come in and she's got a blanket over her head. And I sat down and I said, hi, I'm Mary Jo. I'm going to help you get ready for the birth of your baby. And she said, who the fuck do you think you are? And I said, <laughs> I think that I'm Mary Jo. I'm going to help you get ready for the birth of your baby. So I saw her two times with the blanket. And one time when the blanket came halfway off. And the, I never saw the fourth time because she went into labor. She called me at 1030 at night. And this is what she said to me. Not hi. Not hi, my name. She said, ain't nobody going with me. I said, you having your baby? My water broke. Okay. What do you mean nobody's going with me? I got nobody. You want me to come? I don't care. I said to my sweet husband, I'm going to, I'm going to go to the hospital. I'll be back in a couple hours. I didn't come home for 19 hours because that's how long it took for her to have the baby. And remember I told you I was pregnant. I had decided at the end of that 19 hours that I did not want to have a baby. <laughs> Let's just cancel this. It was tough. She was 12. 12 years old. 12. Oh my gosh. And it was a hard situation. And I, I helped what I could do. You know, when you die or when you give birth, you're pretty much alone. People can be supporting you, but it's still just you. That's and she true. was so brave. And I rubbed her back and she cussed at me. And I rubbed her back. <laughs> you just didn't go away, but she it didn't push you away. I had told her I would stay. I had told her I would stay. So I told the other nurses in the room, I was not working. I was at Goa. I said, um, she doesn't want to see the baby. Can you make sure that happens? Because she had chosen adoption. Hmm. And in her mind, if she saw the baby, she couldn't go through with it. Oh, she had the presence so of mind that. to know I, that. Yeah, Absolutely. And so I said, "Get the baby must leave. She also didn't want to know the gender, boy or girl. She wouldn't know any of that. She simply wanted the baby to be gone. And so that's hmm. what we did. And so I cleaned her up and I took care of her. And then I said, she said, I, I need a Coke. I said, I'll go get you one. I got to be a little honest. I wanted to get out of that room. <laughs> yeah, I, I would imagine so. Oh my gosh. So I go down the hall to get this Coca-Cola that she wants or Pepsi or whatever. It was a drink. She wanted a soda type thing. And I passed the nurse. And I stopped. I did eventually bring her the soda, but I went in and I said to the nurses who knew me, do you think I could pick up the baby? And she, they said, oh, sure. So I pick up this beautiful little one and I sit down on a rocking chair and my baby begins to kick in utero, in, inside my uterus because it was almost term. I was eight months. Oh my gosh. 
And so my baby is kicking and I'm holding this new life and I started to cry. And I don't cry easily. I don't cry at commercials, but I sobbed. And the other nurses are going, are you okay, Mary Jo? And I'm going, no, I'm actually not okay. Because in my family, Dr. Jody, I was so treated with respect. I was, my father would call me twice a day. It was making me, Argh! do you want some Bing cherries? I can find you <laughs> Bing cherries, you know Italian papas, right? I do. Oh, yeah. And this little one had nobody to go with her, had nobody who honored her, had no parents who was there. It was just a horrible experience. And the contrast between this child's life and mine was profound pivotal moment like you had Both mentioned came, and that was it that was the yeah. first one i think would probably be at working in oncology with children but the second was this, this young woman who i still honor and we still talk really oh my Absolutely. gosh Absolutely. Wow. but it's important to know that this was not this was i didn't know this at the time she didn't tell me that the baby was three years old um that this was a non-consensual experience which okay had been assaulted she didn't tell anybody she didn't tell anybody because the person who did it was someone known to the family, which is usually what happens. Right. But it was because of her and her courage and, and the beauty of her spirit that I decided to teach sex ed. I went home and said, I'm going to talk to kids about sex. And my husband was like, oh. your, your husband has got to be oh, an incredible guy because you Very are nice. so dynamic. He's you a are brave. larger than life. And it and takes a, a special kind of yeah. spouse he's, there. Yeah, but in any case, I started teaching sexuality eventually. I got certified through ASECT, which is American Association for Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. I have two certifications with them, one in education and one in sexuality counseling. And then I started teaching. I taught my first sex ed in 81, 81 um, and moved forward. And I, I stayed with the pregnant and, teen, pregnant and parenting teen program as a volunteer until 93 when we got back, when we got running. So I saw young parents from 70 something to 76 ish to 93. And then I hired somebody to help. Hmm. Now I have three somebodies who help. Um, and we do really good work. We have amazing graduation rates. Nationally, young parents don't graduate as easily as people without right. babies. But our lowest graduation rate in any year was 84% and several what, years at 100%. What do you think that X factor is for the oh. high success rate? I will tell you exactly what it is. Okay. One-on-one -on -one mentoring. One-on-one -on -one mentoring. It's another adult. Wow. And, and they, yeah. Go they ahead. can have no, wonderful you... family. They can have wonderful family, but it still helps to have another another adult. Sometimes the family themselves need, need a little lift, you know? Yeah. So my staff, um, they're amazing. They go into homes. They go into schools. They are liaison between teachers and our young parents who if they need help with getting homework and um, they go, they take them to the clinic, they do whatever they need to do. Dr. Mary Jo, is this what you do and your team, is it just specific to the state of Pennsylvania? It's actually specific to my, my area. We work oh in three counties, work in Washington County, Fayette County and Greene County, which is all right around where we am. And we're part of a, a Pennsylvania statewide program called ELECT. That wasn't what I did in the beginning, but that's when we got support. And it comes through the state. Um, and I'm sure there are other programs in other states, but Pennsylvania has this. I was doing it almost 20 years before they connected. Wow. Um, but I have, um, we have wonderful, I, I don't want to take up all the time talking about my programs. We have a program for children who are just challenged for whatever reason. It's called ECHO, Educate Children for Healthy Outcomes. And our <laughs> subtitle is, I find my voice and it calls to me. So wow. And so those kids, for whatever reason, see, Children and Youth gives us young people for this program. Um, JPO, Juvenile Probation gives I us I wish young it was national. We, there's such a need for it, especially I now. To, I don't know how to do that, to be honest. I well, haven't been I, I, the, this, you know? <laughs> the president, our current president's wife is an educator. She would be the sure. first door I'd knock on. Yeah. Hey, you know? But, but hopefully people listening to the podcast, this is a gift. And especially now our young people are suffering so much with this pandemic because what is the natural, you know, origin of teens and young people is to socialize, is oh, to learn, to practice so who they're going to be. Yeah. So you have three children. We do. They're grown. They're wonderful. We are, I have one who works with me. Isn't that a, a oh, Wow. Gift? What a gift. 
it is a gift. And she's part of my, my sustainability program, of course. She will cover, she already does so much. She has created our fundraisers. We did, we did a seesaw marathon last year because it was space for money for our teen center because we had lost some funding and we raised a, a lot of money in a one day, 24 hour seesaw marathon. The teens responded. <laughs> You know, over 200 kids involved. It was beautiful. And then my second one is a palliative care doc. And my, my youngest is a, a son and he is an engineer. And they're all three amazing parents. They have wonderful partners. And I have six grandbabies. I mean, oh my gosh. And do they live locally? We're all within an hour of each other. Isn't it wonderful? wonderful. Yeah. So <laughs> you're a nanny for sure. You are. Yeah. Oh, they're so beautiful. They're so beautiful. But I don't. I have a policy of not talking about them too much because they're young and they can't give me permission to talk. Ah, you respect people of all ages, especially the young, and they I, know that. They sense that. They well, sense I believe it. I believe we're all worthy, Dr. Jody. I yes. think we're born worthy. I think that you don't have to earn worth; you have it. What you do learn is how to grow and how to help others and and how to develop yourself. But your worthiness is inborn. I think that. You're worthy. I'm worthy. That's my tagline. Now, each person's a person of worth. And it's not always a hold to that. Each person is a person of worth. worth. Say that again. That's so powerful. Each person is a person of worth. I have two teens who tattooed that on their bodies. which Really? Oh, my gosh. I know. Well, it changes changes them. They believe in themselves and you give them hope and humanity because you listen and you value them and people need to be acknowledged. But it's already there. This is the part that makes me sad. Every child needs an adult. And I didn't say this first. This was said by, um, I can't think of the the theorist who said this. My mind just went blank. Broffenbrenner. Okay. Broffenbrenner said that every child needs somebody who is crazy about them, who Mm -hmm. um, accepts them as they are, who loves them for who they are. And, and that's what I tell the young people. I love, they always say, when we say goodbye on a Zoom, I love you, Mary Jo. I say, I love you too. Mm-hmm. I'm not afraid of that. And a lot of people don't want, they don't want, they want all kinds of professional boundaries. But I learned from my young, in my young life, from my Buddhist friend, I show my heart. I show my heart. I'm not afraid to show my heart. And I take mm-hmm. call from them. I take call. I have not turned off my phone since 1970-something. Oh I my mean, gosh. So I, it's with me all the time, and they text me. Um, <laughs> and you're so up on the technology. I, when, <laughs> I, I, when, <laughs> when I teach, I write down on a whiteboard my name and my cell number. And it's my actual cell number. It's not a business cell number. You are <laughs> incredible. You realize yeah. that you know you you are unique in so many ways. <laughs> I don't what? see it that way. Well, you don't, but you're humble. And that's just one more characteristic that's such a gift to to all of us. Well, what do you feel is your biggest accomplishment to date? Because I know you've oh, got a lot more going on. That's really easy. Raising my kids is my biggest accomplishment. Because I think parenting is our best job. If we all parent with heart and enthusiasm and love and we instill worthiness in our children, and you can't do an assembly about self-esteem. Schools will say to me, come in and talk to the kids. They need some work on self-esteem. And I'll go, sure, but it's not going to click because you have to drip it in. You have to drip self-esteem. Tell us more about that. Um, From the beginning. From the beginning. People say to me, they're afraid to talk about sexuality with their children. And I say, you already have. They go, no, I haven't. I've never said a word. I said, well, (laughs) silence is a very loud message. Good point. And when we hold our babies, mm-hmm. we pick our babies up. If we put them to breast or not, I did notice my babies, but we hold them to our skin. And now they've told us the bioderm is real important and it passes good bacteria. But from my gut, I knew from my heritage, I had family members who talked about birthing at home. I knew that that moment, that birth moment is powerful. Women never forget it. Right. People, uh, yeah. babies in general, because it could not be, it might not be a, a person who was born, a person who identifies as female, but people have babies. Anybody that has a baby has had a powerful experience. And those moments in the beginning are, are amazing. And if you don't get those moments, if your baby's in a NICU, you'll pack it up. It'll work up. It's fine. But we fall in love in the beginning of our baby's lives. Do you remember that? Oh, oh yes. Yes. 
Right? I do. remember just when I thought I couldn't love him anymore, I did. Oh, okay. I also remember the challenges and questioning, am I a good enough parent? Will he be okay at the end of this, you know, these years, especially the middle school years, which were, yes. were are hard for many, yeah, and my, my son easy. in particular. Sure, yeah. but you are there. You are the rock my papa was to me. You are there, and you are accepting, and you are... I said to myself when I had babies that I would not use the tone of voice with them, that I would not use with a coworker or an employee. Hmm. Doesn't mean I didn't succeed. All, I didn't succeed well, all I know I didn't succeed. I'm Italian. <laughs> but if I wouldn't say to my coworker or my staff person, what the heck is wrong with your office? I can't even walk in here. Then I wouldn't say that to my kid, right? My young person growing up. Parenting is everything. And we don't have enough support for parents. We don't teach parenting. It's, and that's true. And what would you say to parents that are having, especially now, I okay. know my colleagues, myself, we're getting a lot of call from parents concerned yes. about their kids. They're getting involved in a lot of things that every parent, you know, prays their child doesn't get involved in. What, and, and at the end of the day, these parents are like, what happens next? What do you recommend to them? I don't say anything initially. I listen. Okay. So I will say, tell me what's happening. And they'll usually tell me a tale of woe or fear. Fear is a big thing. Mm -hmm. Or anxiety, which is fear kind of squared. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. Anxiety is fear squared. I love right. it. And then when I've heard it and I've absorbed it and I've been quiet, then I will say, first thing, I can't give you advice for parenting your child because your child is your child. Hmm. You know your child more than anybody else. What I can give you is the support you need to get through this hard time. But you know what's right. Let's talk about that. What do you think your young person needs? What do you think would turn this around? Don't talk about what you read on the internet. Don't talk about what you read in a book. What do you think? What do you think your kid needs? Your baby is 13. That child is still your baby. The love you gave that little one at two when this person was absolutely not listening to you and so in a tantrum and saying in church or in public, I don't want to, that love, you got to pull it out. You got to find it because this is a different kind of tantrum. Hmm. But it's still a growing pains. And someday this 13 year will be your best friend. You got to play the cards right. But this kid at 13 who is making you stay awake all night will someday be an adult. You can say, man, I'd have picked you as a friend. But wow. you got to get there. So let's talk. Tell me what you think this little one needs, this 13-year-old needs, this 17-year-old needs. What did you need at 13 and at 17 that you didn't get? Wow. Wow. What a great question to ask a parent. What did you need at the same age the child is at present right. date? Wow. Wow. And what do they say usually? Are they able to answer? Do they have to think about it? Sometimes there's a lot of tears. Yeah. Like I told you earlier, childhood lasts forever. Yes. So you're talking to a parent who's at the wit's end with a 13-year-old, and I say, what did you need at 13? And sometimes they go, huh? and they're like, oh, well, I, oh, <laughs> mm -hmm. and it comes out. There's nothing easy about this. I don't want you to think I'm some magician. I'm not. There's no easy answers, but the answers are never the same. And that's a mm. key to listening. Mm. I don't have a set rote set of words that I would give anyone when they come to me for support. I don't give advice. I listen. And then I help them find what they already had. If a child mm. says to me, I'm X about their sexuality, I mm. lean in and go, what does that mean to you? What a great question. And there's so much more of that today. And when I say that, it's children, children, adolescents and even young adults questioning their sexuality. What, what, what do you think about that? Why, why does it seem to be more prevalent? Because we certainly are getting a lot of more calls about that right. involving gender identity right. or transitioning. What, what Absolutely. do you think? This is my opinion. Okay. It's not data-based, my friend. Um, I think it's always been there. Okay. I think there's always been searching I think there's always been questioning. There are some cultures, we don't happen to have one that has more than one gender, um, native spirit, it's called two spirit. Navajo people have wow. um, male, female, and a, peop a people who are like feminine and masculine too. And they're considered 
um, holy, special, sacred in the tribe. The opposite of, of well, how yeah. our society perceives. This is what me. I tell parents. Yeah. Let your child lead you. Try to figure out what's, what's making them question, but not because they have to tell you. But in your heart, think what's going on, what's going on, and then let them lead you. And mm. unconditional love is not always easy. Define unconditional love, Dr. Mary Jo. I will set um, a parameter. There are some things that I knew my children, I raised them to have. Um, I wanted them to be good humans. If one of them had committed a crime, and I'm grateful that they didn't, unconditional love means that in spite of the fact that they didn't follow my dream, which would they be humans who followed laws, that was one of my dreams, that I would not turn my back on them. I had absolutely things that they were not supposed to do. Mm. Don't get drunk. If you do drink, don't drive drunk. I did all that. We all do that. But I also said, if you're at a party, and this is when they were much older, and you get, you know, it happens, and you drink something, you are to call me, and I will come and get you no questions asked, no consequences, because I'd rather have a live kid who broke my rule than a dead kid who drove home. Hmm. There were some children, teens that I was working with years ago who died on a way home because they were late for curfew. We have country roads and they were driving fast to get home because they know it was close to midnight and they hit, they got off the road, hit a tree and three of them died. Oh boy. And I yeah. went to the funeral because I do that kind of stuff. It's a small community. And a father of one of them said to me, when you teach Mary Jo, tell them that they don't, shouldn't listen to curfews. And I don't do that. But I say this to parents, you have to give teens wiggle room. Wiggle room. Okay. You have to let them stretch. So they can call you. Okay, listen, it's quarter 12 and I'm late and I'm going to be late. And I would respond if it was me. Mm. Okay, come home alive. When it comes to these questioning things, if a child is emotionally unstable with this or they're just scared, they need a grown up who says, I got you. I got you. And if they don't have that, the data, and this is data, shows that they are more likely to hurt themselves, self-harm, even take their own lives. So you need to have a live kid, right? And that means that your love is around them. It celebrates who they are. And so if they say to you, I don't know who I am right now, you say, okay, hmm. okay, we'll get through this. I'm gonna grow with you. Let's see what it means. People are attacking, unfortunately, without thinking through the fact that each person is a person of worth. So if this child decides to make their hair pink and get a tattoo and have a piercing in the middle of their nose, that is still their child. And if they were two, they would have thrown the blueberries across the room because they didn't want blueberries in their pancakes. <laughs> and why did you put blueberries in my pancakes? Even though five minutes ago, they might have said, I would like to have blueberries in my pancakes. So, you know, parenting is rolling with the stuff. It's flowing. Oh, yes. It really is. And, and you can't be perfect. You can say, I made a mistake last night when you told me X. And I went, oh, <laughs> I should yeah. I love you still. And love doesn't mean you don't have guidelines. I have guidelines in my teen center, Dr. Jody. If I'm not there, I'm not on Zoom with them. I will say. When I'm with them, I will say, all right, what are our guidelines for tonight? And they'll do it. We respect everybody. Thank you. What else? Our language is not going to ever hurt anybody. Good. That's excellent. What else? Well, one person is going to talk at a time. Quite good. What else? No names. We're not going to use anybody's names. I made these up, but they fulfill They've, them. Yeah. Well, that's their, their creed. Absolutely. Wow. If I teach somebody for 10 minutes, I do two minutes on guidelines. Wow. And why, why do you think they listen to you? Why do you think that they, they allow you to influence them when we know adolescents are all about pushing back? What is it about you? I mean, I, I let, see it. It's I let them push back. Um, one of the, somebody, somebody interviewed my young people for a, an award that I received. And one of the young women said, Mary Jo just has an aura. You know, if you, yes. if you fall against her, you won't get pushed back. You'll sink into her and you'll be safe. How beautiful I, is that? I don't know if that's true, but I will tell you that that's what I strive to give. I don't, I want them to know that I will be there, that I have their back, 
then I also know they can do it on their own. Like when I first opened this teen store and I said, I'm going to hire teens to run it, people were like, oh. but I've done it since 2008. All kinds of kids, all kinds of kids, diversity in every which way, and they get along. Um, we talk about the hard stuff. We talk about race. We talk about gender. We talk mm. about sexuality. We talk about homework. We talk about standardized testing. We talk about how, how scary it is to not know what you want to do as a senior and everybody thinks you're supposed to know. We talk about the phenomenon of not having enough money for college and wanting to go so bad you can taste it and applying for scholarships and your grades just aren't high enough to get academic ones. And maybe you have a parent who doesn't want to fill out a form because they don't want to admit that they can't afford to get you there. Mm. We talk about what it feels like to be abandoned, to have a parent walk away from you. We talk about divorce. We talk about what it feels like to have a new adult in your life all the time. That's one of the hardest things teens tell me that they go Really? Oh, so your, your person, your parents, your mom, your dad, whoever it is, has a new partner. And you don't know this person or care about this person, but all of a sudden this person takes a parental role and starts mm -hmm. to make rules and jurisdiction over you. And I've talked about, I did a, we did lots of programs on drug and alcohol use, and we did a beautiful play. The kids write their own plays. I don't do them. We have a group called Real Talk Performers. And we, we did a play, it's on YouTube, and it's called I'm Not That Drunk. Hmm. And, and it's about people saying, I'm the least drunk. That's what it's called. I'm the least drunk. See my brain. I'm the least drunk. And um, we're doing this play. We're getting ready. And I said to one of the young people, so what would you do if, if somebody was your friend and they, you knew they were drinking? Would you get in the car with them? They were like, no, we shouldn't do that. No. And then one of the boys said, what if it's your mom? Huh. Wow. How powerful is that? So powerful. You asked me why they, why they, I don't expect them to listen. I expect them to mature and I empower them to be who they are. So we have guidelines at the center. They open, they close because of COVID. They all wear masks. They distance. Mm -hmm. We have a food policy. So they're like waiters. If we have pizza, they all sit in their seats with their masks on. And one person goes back and forth on the pizza like a waiter and brings them. They want pizza with pineapple or they want pizza with sausage. And they bring that to them. They don't all crowd over the pizza. We've taught them this. Somebody just donated about a, a month ago a magnificent pool table, beautiful pool table. And we they play pool. They play ping pong. They play video games. They talk with each other. But my team staff have responsibilities. They they don't let anybody in. We have a security system. If somebody comes to the door, they make sure that they're a person that's safe. Hmm. Um, they respect confidentiality. Wow. See, I have a barometer here for them. I say, I know you can reach this level and I trust you. Let's do it. And they do. And I train them. I don't just throw them into this. But I figured if they can close McDonald's, they can close my teen center, right? They can so be responsible for cooking fries with all that hot oil, they can be responsible for making this place good, right? I, I, again, you're, you're just amazing and you get oh, them. So get, what is them. the message that you want us to know, all of us, about especially teens? What is Absolutely. the message, if there was one paramount message, and I know there's just not one, oh, but the most I can, important. I can, make this, I can do this succinctly, um, honor their worth. Honor their worth. Honor their worth. Respect them as okay. people. Hear them. Listen to hear and hold space with them. Do you know what hold space is? Yeah. Explain it to our audience, though. Yes. It's a hospice term more than anything. Mm -hmm. When you hold space, you are there with someone. You know how we go to a funeral home and you say your condolences and you go sit down? That's why you sit down. You're there. Mm -hmm. So the bereaved can look up and see your person. So when I hold space with a teen, I don't talk. I say things like, would you like me to sit with you? You're having a hard time. And they always say, uh-huh. And I do. And I sit. One of my favorite books is about a rabbit who listens. It's called The Rabbit Listened. I just read it. It's on my YouTube channel. I read it for Read Together in America Day, whatever that was called. All the other animals try to help the child in the book, whose name is Taylor, because Taylor's blocks were knocked down by the wind. And the animals all come and the mm. chicken wants to talk and the bear wants to be angry and knock something down also. And the snake wants to go knock somebody else's down. And Taylor doesn't want to hear any of this, but the rabbit comes and just sits down. The rabbit listens. 
And in time, Taylor gets mad and talks and wants to knock something down and does all those emotions. So if you're a parent or a trusted adult in the child's life, look at that young person as worthy. See them as worthy. Respect their personhood. Listen to hear, not to talk. Keep your mind empty. Don't have a, a thing to say next. You're hearing them. And then hold space. I'm right here. I'm not leaving. The worst thing I would ever do would be send a kid to a room. Mm. They don't need to be in a room. They need to be with me. They need to, even mm. if they're mad at me, even if they don't want to be with me, I need to be in that space with them and they need to see me and they need to know, like that 12-year-old that I'm not leaving. Wow. I'm not going. I am right here. You look up. There's a piece of research I love about doulas that had people as doulas not speak to the people in labor not touch them they just stayed and after the birth when they asked mothers what they felt would help them they said that woman who never stayed that never left that person who never left that's the person well, who helped me so your life has been incredible remarkable you're very fun. humble but it, <laughs> it, it, it but it keeps going you have so much to share with the world and our nation with america the biggest challenge in, oh i know the biggest challenge in your life dr mary joe oh i'm very blessed i don't have very many challenges i've been very lucky um, i've had a couple of health things in the last couple of years i had a breast cancer in in 19 um and, and a year of chemo and some chemo stuff still. Some Ironic, ironically, since you were an oncology, pediatric right. oncology nurse. I knew what to expect. I wasn't surprised. But I got to tell you, I don't see that as a challenge as much as something that just happened. And you, you play the cards the way they're dealt and you do the best you can. I would say the mm -hmm. hardest challenge I have is not being able to reach as many kids as I can. I, I would like to reach all of them. I would like to, one, one a young woman said to me one day, why don't you raise all the boys? <laughs> <laughs> I know a lot of wives would say that. Write a book for men or my oh, significant other. <laughs> I, I really raised a good son, but it's not just that. I mean, when I talk to boys, Dr. Jody, you should be in the room. I mean, I, first of all, I start at sixth grade. So by the time I get them to 10th, when they really, really need me, um, <laughs> they know me, right? And so we're okay with each other. And I will say to them, let's get to the point. What do you really want in a relationship? So Nani talks about relationships. That, that was a hard book to write. It was harder than Nani I talks. I bet, yeah. So many relationships. <laughs> but the, the good news is um, you grow with them. And I don't, I'm 71, as I said, I don't have the reach I had once. At one time I taught in 12 schools all by myself. My staff teaches now. I can't do that anymore. I need a nap in the middle of the day. <laughs> I need a nap. God, that's all you need? You're just yeah. incredible. I can do it with 20 minutes. I'm good. But I wish we could clone you. Oh, heavens to Bessie, no. That's not necessary. I wish you could have cloned my papa. I don't know how to explain how good it is for a woman to have a father. I, I can empathize and relate to that 110%. Right. Yes. People think yeah. dads are for sons, but if you're a daughter and you've got mm -hmm. a, a dad like my papa, um, you talk about self-worth, right? Talk about empowerment. Yes. I have never been thin and I've never minded. This is the body I have. But in fifth grade, a boy on the bus called me fat and I acted like it didn't bother me at all. And then I closer I got to the house, it was four blocks. By the second block to the house, I was crying. And when I got home, I was sobbing. And Papa was in the garden. He worked at a glass factory most of my life. And he was, he had tomatoes. You would not believe the tomatoes. And he was working. And by the time I got to him, I was doing this. <laughs> you know how you do when you can't stop crying? And he looked at me and said, oh, Filia, me, my daughter. <laughs> What's the matter? And he sat down in the dirt. <laughs> he sat in the dirt. He put all his stuff away. He didn't have anything in his hands. And he said, tell me, tell me. And I did. And you understand, I've had classes in reflective listening. Nobody taught this man. He knew he had it in here. And he listened to my story of my sadness. And he said, oh, come here, Bella. How beautiful. Your body is the container God gave you to walk in. Why would he have given you the wrong container? Oh, how beautiful. Say that again, Dr. Mary Jo. Your body is the container God gave you to walk in. Why would he have given you the wrong container? Why would he have given you the wrong container? Right. 
And then I was done crying, you know, he said, tell me, where is this Kuma's face? That means dumb person. <laughs> where is this boy? And I said, oh, he lives a couple blocks down. And oh, <laughs> you want me to go uh, kill him? I said, oh. Yeah. <laughs> I got to give you a visual. Papa looked a lot like Tony Soprano, but he never killed him. Like Tony Soprano. <laughs> he was a big guy and he never killed a fly even that I saw. He was a gentle, gentle man. Oh, wow. Groundhog once. It was fine. He destroyed me. He, he did do that. But he was a kind, kind man. He would never have hurt this boy. But I was in fifth grade and I thought about the insult and I went in my head, maybe. maybe, maybe. <laughs> and then I figured uh, as a big consequence, I said, no, Papa, you don't have to. He said, ah, you change your mind. You let me know. <laughs> and you know what? It sounds like you are so much like him. And I am. what a wonderful legacy. I am like him. And I absolutely am like him. I, I want, I know the audience wants to hear about your books, about the YouTube, I, all I, of that. I will, uh, if you can put my, my email in, in. Yes. Let's, I can chat, should I put it in the chat? Yes. Let's put it in the chat and put it up there and then read it out. It's really easy. It's podmj at healthyteens.com. P-O-D-M-J at healthyteens.com. Com, and my website is drmaryjo.com. There we go. Pod MJ at healthyteens.com. Right, and that's my website. Drmaryjoepodgursky.com. And talk about the Nani books. Okay, so I have one to show you. If you I can share my screen. If that's Absolutely. Okay. Yes. Uh, we're launching this tomorrow for Mental Health Awareness Month. Wow, wonderful. And it's, Moni talks about mental health, which was something I thought we really needed to do. Um, I did really think that was important. That. Yeah, so this is this is the cover. So this is Nani. This is the first, first book I have gray hair in. <laughs> <laughs> and that's Tamika, and this is Alex, and those are the children in my book. And there's a lot of food in my book. I don't know why, Nani's always feeding them. But um, <laughs> it, it could be because Nani's Italian, but you think, who knows? You think, part of it yeah so this is the mental health one and then i can go to the i have a picture of the others if that's okay yes absolutely i will, I will get wanna, to that yes yeah um it's very funny i think probably the best way to do it dr jody is just to go through yes let's do it any way that works for you oh, wait, i don't want to take too much time this um, is your time dr mary oh, thank jo. you i'm just Please, gonna go, oh, what this a is, gift this is what i say all the time each person is a person of worth we are are each of us worthy so um, I will get to, I'll go through all of this quickly, but this is how the naughty books start. They're always um, with these two people mm -hmm. having questions and these pages are for interact, it's to be done with a parent or a trusted adult. So that's for interaction. And this is why I did this. And wow. um, I just have some, some things here. That Suicide we don't have to rising. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. So the elephant in the room is what I'm trying to work with all these mm -hmm. hard topics that people don't know. And so in Nani talks about mental health, Tamika's older brother comes home from college, but he's really unhappy. And what we don't know is that his mm. so his um his roommate attempted attempted to take his life and 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 the, the LeBron found him and took care of it. So we talk about what does it mean? Because Tamika said her brother is big sad. So like, what does that mean? What does big sad mean? And then we talk about all the good things that people need to know. Here we are, you are worthy, it's not your fault. And we go on and we go on and then we talk, I talk about my cancer, what it's like to be unhappy because somebody you love has something dangerous. Happen. How did your, your, your teens and your children today, how did they respond to finding out that you had cancer? Were oh, they, they were lovely. I had a whole bunch of young men yeah. who wanted to shave their heads, but I wouldn't let them. Oh, oh, Dr. Mary Jo. My wow. littlest ones, I have twins that are 10 now, they're almost 11 and one of them really had a hard time with the idea of me having um, to lose my hair. And so I had a party and we had pizza and they put my chemo caps on and my wigs. I bought a pink wig and a red oh, wig, see, wig and a purple my wig. My God, you just, you're incredible. Fun. Thank wow. you. But one of my main characters uses a wheelchair and she was my consulting author and Nanya talks about disability. Um, and so we talk about everything. Mm -hmm. We talk about, I have a wonderful, wonderful artist. PTSD. Oh my gosh. We PTSD. Wow. We do. And then we talk about self-care. We talk about breathing and centering and 
um, these are my mm -hmm. Nani books. So there they are. There they are. Wow. So Nani consent, Nani death, Nani disability, Nani gender, which answers some of the questions you had and, earlier. And where can people buy these books? Um, on my website and on Amazon. They're all on oh, Amazon. Oh, they are on Amazon. Oh, oh wonderful. Yeah. Nani quarantine, I wrote in three weeks in March of 2020. And I had it on, in April, first week of April, I put it on my website and I gave over 500 uh, uh, PDFs of it away for free. I didn't sell it. I oh it my gosh, for it the pandemic. A, it was for the pandemic, right? Oh, wow. So, okay. Pregnancy, puberty, quarantine, Nani talks about race, relationships, sex, and more trauma. And then that's it. I'm done. There's 12, but. Um, I, that's it? Oh my gosh. So I have to ask you this question as we come to the close, which we're going to have to have you back. We're just going to have to. <laughs> Anytime, love. Anytime. One word you would use to describe you. One word. Blessed. Blessed. Wow. Absolutely. When you do what you love, as much as I love what I do, there's no work involved at all. None. It's... I'm lucky to do this work. I'm lucky to have support. I have a wonderful husband. I have wonderful children. I have amazing grandkids who can do no wrong in my eyes. Mm. No, I am a very blessed person. You are a gift. Also, are you? So many of us. Thank, Thank you. you. A I message. have never tried to be big, bigger than my little community, though. I, my dad always said, bloom where you planted. So I've always bloomed right there. <laughs> But it needs to spread. The seeds Thank need to you. spread. If there was a message that you would like to leave our audience, especially with everything the world has gone through, what our country, what America has gone through, sure, sure. what would that be, Dr. Mary Jo? So easy. You are worthy. You yourself are worthy. You got it when you were born. So all you have to do, and I know it sounds simple, but it's so true, is feel your worthiness. And if you do, people won't take advantage of you as much. You'll be able to walk away from crises by saying that really was horrible, but I'm still standing. You are worthy. Dr. Mary Jo, thank you so much. Thank you. It was such a fun to be with you, Dr. Jody. Oh my gosh, I I am like, I'm going to carry you with me for a long time. Dr. Jody is very happy. Put me in your pocket. I'll put you in my heart. Thank and you. then That's I better. have learned so much from you that I'm going to pass it on. And, and as a therapist, what greater gift than to learn from somebody who's, who's so incredible. So thank you. Oh, and Godspeed. So Thank God you. Speed. Same to you. Same to Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Bless you. Yeah, we'll see, you again. we'll see each other again. I know we will. Absolutely. All right. Bye-bye. Take good care. Yes, I will. This is Dr. Jody J. DeLuca signing off. Take good care, America. Thank you for listening to Inside America's Minds. Don't forget to check out our YouTube channel, Inside America's Minds with Dr. Jody J. DeLuca. The views, information, and opinions expressed on the Inside America's Minds podcast series and on any other related social media pages are solely those of the individuals involved and do not represent the opinions of any third party. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional psychological, psychiatric, or medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding your condition. Never disregard professional advice or delay seeking treatment because of something you have heard on Inside America's Minds or have read on any other related social media pages. For emergency situations, be sure to call 911 or go to the nearest emergency department.